the prophet of Isaiah in chapter 40. So if you want to flip there with me real quick. So we'll be starting in chapter 40 of Isaiah in verse 1. I'll give you guys a few seconds to get there. There's also Bibles in the pews in front of you. All righty. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of forced labor is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear, and all humanity together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice was crying, cry out. Another said, why should I cry out? All humanity is grass, and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Indeed, the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Zion, herald of good news, go up on a high mountain, Jerusalem, herald of good news. Raise your voice loudly, raise it, do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with strength, and his power establishes his rule. His wages are with him, and his reward accompanies him. He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. And then if you guys want to flip to the Gospel of John, we'll be in chapter 1, starting in verse 19. So John chapter 1, starting in verse 19. This was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? He didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. What then? They asked, Are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then? They asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, Why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Jack, is it is it whoop whoop or woot woot? Whoop whoop. Whoop. P with a P? Okay, well, I'm going to preach the good news. Whoop whoop. <laughs> I'm going to talk about Jesus and... John chapter 1 and Isaiah chapter 40, and uh, hopefully by the time we're done here, we'll have a greater understanding of who God is and his plan and his purposes for us. You may know the story, I want to be careful adding too much to it, but I am a preacher, and so I, uh, I think I'm allowed a little bit of license, at least that's what they taught me in seminary. Just imagine, young man comes to town. A couple of people notice, and it looks like he's got a lot of money. Seems to be new around here. It's not a big town, and so you kind of notice everybody that shows up. 
And then they begin to talk. I wonder where he's from. I, I don't know, but he's clearly not from around here. And you just kind of pay an attention and, and you realize, wow, he's young. And he seems to be really living it up. I know what, you know, I know what you're thinking. College freshman? <laughs> right? You're driven around town. You're like, wow, college freshmen are doing pretty good these days. How many of you have had that thought? Right? You see what they're driving. You look what you're driving. You're like, wow, I wish I was a college freshman again. <laughs> kind of like that. And as you, you see him, and again, because it's a small town, you just you bump into him and you hear stories. Man, no, he's really living it up. He's going to places he shouldn't go. He's hanging out with pieces of people he probably shouldn't be hanging out with. Um, he, he really seems to be making some choices and some decisions that are just not good. And then this is what we think. Who raised this guy? Who raised him? Who let him drive that car? Who... who who, who allowed him to spend his money like that and to live so decadently? And you begin to wonder, man, I'll bet you his parents didn't love him. Well, I know they, they thought they loved him, but the way that they just let him do what he wanted to do and the way that they just allowed him to, you really begin to question, if, if, if he was your kid, it'd be different, wouldn't it? You just fast forward a little bit and that young man has kind of blown through everything that he had. And, and now he's homeless, doing anything that he can to just get by. Hungry, on the streets. A couple of different attitudes. We really should do something to care for him, and, and even maybe you do. And you know what it's like. I don't think, I don't think people like sit in judgment. But have you ever served people and you just thought, how did you get here? You know, if you just made wiser choices. And then it, it comes back again, and, and we usually do, right? We think these thoughts. I wonder who raised you. I wonder why they never came and got you. I wonder what's going on at home that would make you be so far from your family. Very seldom do we actually live through the story of the prodigal, kind of from those days, weeks, months, maybe even years, in which he is living uh, a, a very reckless life, a very indulgent life. Now, we, we spend almost most of our time imagining and wondering just those last moments when he's walking home and his father, and this is such a strange image in the Bible, kind of pulling up his tunic and running out to see him. You usually did not see men, especially distinguished men, running. But he's home. He's coming home. That's usually what we focus on. But I just couldn't help but think that uh, we, we just have this tendency when there is brokenness, when there is waywardness, and I'm not, I'm not trying to overly critique our thoughts even, they might even be natural. The Bible even speaks as though they are. That the one who would live like that and the one who would respond like that. I believe that even if you were to use the Bible, I could find some verses that would say you should never just give your child's inheritance to them when they ask for it. I mean, Jesus is trying to belabor a point. He's trying to make sure that we understand the extent to which God is so gracious and kind and loving 
Now, in reality, and this is why the parable is meant to accentuate just the way that God receives the prodigal home. That's the point of the parable. Just look how much the father loves and the father gives and the father goes. Look at to the extent at which he goes. But if I get to make up a little bit and, and to kind of place us there when that young man walks to town and as he just train wrecks his life, I, I think if we're going to look biblically at that story and kind of revisit it, the God of the Bible doesn't just surrender his prodigal son. He actually, if you read the Bible, he actually sends people along the way to remind him of home, to remind him of his waywardness and his brokenness. Again, if you, if you read the Bible, it, it just happens over and over and over again. Weirdly, we have this idea, I hear it in a popular level being spoken, that God just kind of sits back and watches the choices that we make, and then at the end, just kind of judges us as to whether or not we passed or failed. That's not the way the Bible describes it, actually. No, if you want to go back to Genesis, interestingly enough, the first one to venture into a broken relationship in the midst of wayward rebellion is God himself. Where are you? He is the one seeking and finding. So don't be surprised when his son shows up. He actually says, for I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. He's just modeling his father. But between Genesis 3 and Luke 19, you actually have uh, the story in the Bible of God sending those who on behalf of God are reminders, who are, uh, are agents of, of him, because God will not surrender his people to their own brokenness, but instead God actively is involved in, in our lives in the world in ways that we both know and in ways that we will never know. One of the, the prayers that I've, I've learned to pray for people that I love and care for who are in that prodigal stage is this. God, and I, I pray that, that you would send someone to her. That someone would would speak to her and love her and care for her and remind her of home, of you. That someone would demonstrate not just a love and a kindness and feed and to care for, but would speak words of truth and hope. And I don't know if it'll work, but I pray, God, that you would just send people and groups of people to intercept, to interject into their waywardness so that they might come home. I pray that a lot, actually, because that's the story that we actually see in the Bible. And the ones that God actually sends, and I love this idea, is that God just doesn't, God, God put a mom and dad in my life as somebody who would speak truth to me. And God put Sunday school teachers in my life to speak truth to me. And God put youth sponsors in my life to speak truth to me. And, and God put neighbors in my life to speak truth to me. And, and, and God put Mr. and Mrs. Rittenhouse yeah, you don't know them. I barely knew them. Like, this is when I was a little, little, little kid. The Rittenhouses. I remember when I referred to Mr. Rittenhouse as Clarence, and you would have thought I had said the F word. <laughs> yeah, his name wasn't Frank. His name was Clarence. 
But my dad was, you never refer to Mr. Rittenhouse as Clarence. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and he was just one of those people that just at some level was, was an agent of God, an ambassador of Christ. Just to, just to remind me to stay on the narrow way. Because there is this broad path and everybody else is on it. It just looks like fun, doesn't it? And I, I think if we're honest, we can be reminded from Scripture, and even as we go back and we kind of trace our life, just the number of people that, that stood in our way, stop signs, yield signs, uh, you know, no wrong turn signs, no U-turns. I mean, there are these people in my life, and, and I don't know if I saw them as ambassadors of God. I don't know if I saw them as being sent by him, but he does. And in the Bible, they, they can be parents. I think at some level, the, the, like the priesthood could kind of serve as that, but the ones that we think about the most are the prophets. The prophets. They were the ones that God called, that God gave a message to, and that God then empowered to stand up in the midst of all of the opposition, in the midst of everybody that didn't want to listen, um, in spite of the fact that not only did they not want to listen, and not only would they oppose, but they would persecute the prophets. And God sent them. And, and, and you know about them, right? There's a whole bunch of books in the Bible that just describe these prophets. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Jonah and Nahum and Obadiah and Zephaniah and Zechariah and Haggai. and Ma I mean, all these names that you're like, yeah, I've heard of those names. Oh, yeah, those are Bible books. Yeah, No, those are each prophets. And then there are those prophets that never even wrote a Bible book like Elijah or Elisha. You've heard of them, right? And who are they? They are people that represent God's love. And God's care and God's correction. And I just want to clear one thing up. I try to say this whenever I get a chance to talk about prophets. One of the problems is, is that most time when we think about prophets, we just think about, well, who's going to predict who's going to win the Super Bowl? Or who's going to predict when Jesus Christ is going to come back? Or who's going to predict? It's all about prediction. It's all about the future. And in the end, that's just a very small part of the whole piece. Really, the, the prophet is called by God. The prophet is given a message directly from God. That's why they speak with authority. And they say, thus saith the Lord. They like, to, they like to speak like that. They even have the King James Version. Thus saith the Lord. Because they want to warn you of the path that you are headed down. They want to warn you before you end up spiritually homeless. They, they want you to return home before you're just completely destitute spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally. They're the ones that we blow by, the ones that we critique. And they are ambassadors of God. And, and what they do is they remind people of God's covenant faithfulness. That's the number one role of the prophet. That's why when you read the prophets, most of what they're doing is just reminding them of God's covenantal faithfulness. I love the Hebrew word for that, chesed. Chesed. It's just this one word. Sometimes when you're reading the Psalms, it'll say his steadfast love. His covenantal faithfulness. Um, God's the one in the marriage that even after you go, I don't want to do this, he says, yeah, well, I'm not giving up. It's that kind of covenantal faithfulness. It's not dependent upon us getting it right. right? Think about it. How many relationships do you have that are dependent upon you getting it right? Who are just one decision or one choice. Or, that's, that's not fair. Honestly, most of our friends, right, they don't give up after one or two times. And the people that you've given up on, 
I mean, the people that I've given up on, it's just the fact that I don't think they're ever going to change. And not that God doesn't surrender us to our choices at times. He does, Romans 1. But he seems to do so in a way in which he is always sending prophets. Prophets. And that is why we get that phrase in John chapter 1, who do you think you are, John? Who do you think you are? There are some people that are actually sent. The text describes them in two different categories. The first one actually says that they are priests and they are Levites. That describes a group of people that are associated with the temple area. They are known as Sadducees. And they are people who are in charge of the sacrificial system. They are the ones to regulate the sacrifices and making sure the people are being religiously observant. And they want to know, who is this guy out there speaking against Israel? Who is this guy out there that's calling people to repent and and he's popular, by the way? And they want to know, when they say, who are you? They're asking a much more complicated question. They're really saying, who gives you the right to talk like this? Who gave you the authority to behave like this or to act like this? That's what they want to know. And the priests and the Levites ask these series of questions. They are sent from Jerusalem by those who are in charge because, you know, let's check the minutes. Did anybody send a guy named John, son of Zechariah, whose dad, by the way, was a priest? His dad was a priest. John's dad. Did we send him? I can't see anything in the minutes. Well, we got to make sure we got to make sure he's doing it right. They're going to sound like the the disciples who say to Jesus, "We saw some people um, doing some stuff in your name, and they weren't among us. So, what do you want us to do?" And Jesus said, uh, "Leave them alone. Don't need you to run around and fix everything. There's stuff that God is doing that is beyond your control." Now, I'm saying that in part because I want you to realize that. Although you wonder why God has abandoned prodigals to themselves, I'm telling you, if you read the scriptures, what you'll actually find out is that there are probably more people involved in their lives than just you. And there are poor people involved in their lives than even just your circle of friends. It's humbling, isn't it? To recognize that God has a level of care and a level of oversight and a level of engagement that stands outside of your control. Who do you think you are, John? We've got some categories for you. And and basically, John begins by saying, well, I'll tell you this. I know who I'm not. This is the list of questions. Are you the Messiah? I am not the Messiah. He makes it very clear. I am not the Messiah. Because you're acting like someone that's that's really uh, insightful into the ways of God. You're, You're acting in a way that is just not the way that we are acting. Are you the Messiah? There, there was an expectation at that time where people were wondering if it was the Messiah. John says, no, I am not the Messiah. Then they asked him, are, are you Elijah? And he says, I am not. I'm not Elijah. Now, that's kind of strange, actually. Now, again, he says, I am not. And we got to be careful even realizing that although I think everything that John says, maybe they think, are you like Elijah, Elijah? You know what I mean? Like Elijah reincarnated. Why Elijah? Well, one thing is, remember this, like Elijah never died in the Bible, right? He literally was carried up away. Are, are, are you back? Is that what, it seems to be what they're asking. Now, the part that you can't get around is the fact that Jesus will actually say that John is Elijah. 
I'm going to trust Jesus' words over John's. So I don't know if he's just trying to make sure that, man, I just don't want you to misunderstand, like I'm really not Elijah reincarnated. I'm not Elijah just kind of sent back by God. I'm, I'm not that at all. He, he seems to so want to separate himself from that. But, but Jesus actually makes it clear, yeah, John is the one that's prophesied in the spirit of Elijah that's prophesied in the book of Malachi that will come and prepare the way for the Messiah. But he says, I'm not him. And then they ask, are you the prophet? That's kind of like a, a capital the, capital prophet. Deuteronomy 18, 18. Moses says, and God will send. God will send someone, like a prophet, and different than any other prophet. This one isn't just going to come and speak the truth. This one is going to be able to do things that prophets cannot do. And John makes it very clear, no, I'm not. I'm none of those things. So, so by the way, let's just be clear. John understands who he's not. That's such a healthy thing for people. To understand who you're not. Maybe that can even help you understand then who you are. Because John says, I know who I am. Well, then who are you? They're really asking, by what authority are you doing this? And, and John essentially says to them, I, I know who I'm not. So don't accuse me of that. He's very clear about it. But I also know who I am. And he says these three things about himself. I am a voice. He's quoting Isaiah 40, and I had Jack read the first 11 verses. I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. I'm that voice. Jesus says, like that's the voice that comes in the spirit of Elijah. Don't know how much John even understood that. He's that voice. And he says, I, I know that. I, I know what I'm, I'm to do. I know where I'm to stand. I know what I am to say. So John just isn't, yeah, I'm not Jesus. I can't do anything. John isn't, yeah, I'm not the prophet, so I can't say anything. No, John is very clear. I am the voice. Now, I don't know if you've ever knew what that, actually that text means. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight. Um, lower hills and raise valleys in the desert. I don't know if you've been to Jerusalem. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. And, and when you're in Jerusalem and you look to the east, desert, just desert. And if you keep looking across the desert and across the desert and across the desert and across the desert, you'll, you'll find the, the land of exile, the land where the people of God were taken when they were prisoners. And, and by the way, just on the other side of Jerusalem, there's hills and there's valleys. Now, I know you, you just kind of go, well, why don't they just drive through it? Yeah, they can't drive through things. Hills and valleys are obstacles to get to where you want to go. They're obstacles. Make straight. Lower things that get in the way. Raise things that complicate. Make it straight. For what? For the exiles. For those who are, for prodigals to come home. That's what John's saying. I'm that voice. I'm the voice that is calling out to all the prodigals. Come home. We've made a way. God has made a way. God has, has a plan. Come home, come home, come home. That's what he's saying. Make straight, raise, lower. Like that's who I am. John, sent by God to remind people who he was. He, he says, I, I baptize with water. He knew who he was. I'm, I'm a baptizer. So we got the name, John the Baptist. I'm a baptizer. I'm the one that's involved in, in the small little part that I do in the cleansing 
I'm really not the one who can cleanse, but I'm the one who can help with the cleansing process. I love it when someone says, my, my son or my daughter wants to get baptized, or I've got a good friend, and I've led them to the Lord, and God is doing a work in their life, and, uh, and they want to be baptized. And, and then they kind of look at, you know, those of us who are professionals, and, and uh, they say, uh, is, it, is it okay if, uh, if I baptize her? I'm like, no, 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 like, that's, that's wonderful. I mean, one of the things that we try to even ask in that whole process is those people who are most actively engaged in helping to lead them to Christ, right, Kathy, this is it, we want them to be the ones involved. We want them to be the ones because we understand what they're doing and we understand what they're not doing. I baptized a lot of people. <laughs> Didn't save any of them. I'm just here as a brother in Christ to just lower you down into the amazing grace of God and to raise you up out of by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's the one doing the work. Baptism isn't a work, it's never been a work. John goes, I know who I am, I, I get the part that I play. And then lastly, he, he, interestingly enough, he adds another not, which is so against us today. He says this, speaking about Jesus, that's the he. He is the one who comes after me. That's the Messiah. Whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. That's who John is. Who am I? I am, I am the one that is not worthy. Um, literally, if you were a slave to someone else, the law kind of said that you, you had to do everything that they said, but you don't have to untie sandal straps because even that is beneath a slave. And John says, like, I'm not even that worthy. I really think we may be doing a disservice to one another when we just talk about how worthy we are and how awesome we are and how amazing we are and how empowered we are and how gifted we are. I get what we're doing, and I'm not even trying to make, I'm not, I'm not trying to, like, degrade us. No, because we are made in the image of God. At the end, we will actually pray at the end of our service about the, the sanctity and the beauty of life. All of that is true. I just don't think we, we really ever do a good enough job putting ourselves in comparison to who Jesus is, because that's what he's talking about here. I, I know who I am, and ultimately I know who I am in relation to Jesus, and in relation to Jesus, I am not worthy to even untie his sandal. I honestly, I, I think the more that we just think about our unworthiness, if we could have like John's perspective, it wouldn't cause us to treat one another more poorly. It would cause us to treat one another more beautifully. Wow, you are one unworthy person. And yet God loves you. With what respect I should treat you. Wow, you are a terrible human being. I can't see one good thing in you, and, and yet God, through his son Jesus Christ, chose to die for you. What value and worth you must have. I just think there's something there. And so as we work to apply this to our lives, John knows who he's not, and John knows who he is. So I just want to ask you, brothers and sisters, and I will say it again, I do not assume any time I speak that those, all those who are listening are followers of Jesus Christ. And if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, I am glad that you are here. And I hope that you hear a story of God's amazing love and his desire for you to come home. 
I hope that you hear in me the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Let us make the path smooth and plain and straight so that you can come home and know that the Father would be there to receive you and, and, and we would be just glad to be at your party. But do you know who you are? Parent, grandparent, great-grandparent, uncle, aunt, cousin, sister, brother, you are a messenger of Jesus. That's who you are. Do you know who you are? Employee, employer, coworker, support staff, supervisor, administrator. You are an ambassador for Jesus. Do you know who you are? Friend, neighbor, roommate, companion, pen pal. I don't even know if they exist, but I wrote it anyway because I had some pen pals in the eighth grade. Pen pal, bestie, playmate, colleague, confidant. You are a model of Jesus. Do you know who you are? Teacher, designer, engineer, soldier, peace officer, city official, professor, firefighter, construction worker, nurse, doctor, technician. You are in fact called by Jesus. Do you know who you are? Pastor, greeter, nursery worker, life group leader, youth sponsor, team leader, Stephen minister, marriage mentor, elder. You are a servant for Jesus. Like, like you are the one that God has sent. You are the one that is standing. You are the one. You are part of God's plan and purpose to call people home. 2 Corinthians 5.20. I'm going to put it on the screen. I recommend you write it down somewhere and you go back, you find it, you underline it. Listen to this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal through us. We plead you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. There's just no way around it. There's just no way around it. God has sent you and me in so many different levels because as I go through this list, I'm a, I'm a parent, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm actually a grandparent, I'm also an uncle and I'm a cousin and I'm a brother. I'm an employee, I'm kind of an employer, I'm a coworker. I am actually support staff, I think. I'm probably a supervisor, I'm not an administrator, Jill does everything, thank the Lord. But I'm a friend and I'm a neighbor, I've been a roommate, hopefully I'm a companion, I'll write you a letter. I don't know if I'm your bestie, but I have a bestie. I'm a playmate, I am a colleague, and I am a confidant, I'm a teacher, I don't design things, I'm not an engineer, I'm a soldier of the Lord, I can sing you the song if that'll prove it, I hope I'm a peace officer, but not the kind that I'm so grateful for uh, that do such an amazing work in our city. I'm not a city official, and I also don't write them nasty letters. Um, I've been a professor. I, I'm not a firefighter, but I do start fires. I'm not a construction worker, but I got this really cool room in my house that I redid. My mom's a nurse. I'm not one, and I'm grateful for my doctor. I'm not a technician. I am a pastor. I love greeting people. I love kids in the nursery. I've done that before. I am a life group leader. I love going to Youthquake. I'm a team leader. I'm not a Stephen minister, but my wife is. I kind of cheer her on, and I don't know if I'm a marriage mentor, but I have an amazing marriage, but most of it's just Andrea. I actually am an elder. So if you look at it, I got a lot of things on that list. 
And, and, and more than anything else, I have to just realize that God has placed me in, 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 the, in the way. Yield sign, stop sign, no U-turn sign, turn right only sign. I mean, these are these things, and, and God has placed me. And, and then this is what I want to end with. John knew who he was not, and he knew who he was. Now that I've talked about who we are, and you have a good understanding of who you are, a messenger, an ambassador, a model, a called, and a servant. Are you okay with who you're not? Are you okay with who you're not? Um, I'm, I'm reading a book right now, probably one of the best books I've read in the last 10, 15, 20 years, called The Failure of Nerve by Edwin Friedman. Talking about what's going wrong in our culture today. Uh, he, he is applying what is known as family systems or systems work to churches and to families. And here's a quote that he has. He's talking about organizations and he's talking about families. And this is one of the most amazing quotes I've heard. Listen to this. So parents, listen up. Listen to what he says, actually, and, and you can apply this in lots of different instances. He says, it doesn't matter the culture. He's done a lot of studying. He's actually passed on. He's a rabbi. He's passed on. But he had done a lot of work just looking at families that are broken and what families continue to stay broken and what families get out of broken, what organizations stay broken, what organizations get out of broken. And he's got a list of things and that are, he said, are universally true. They transcend time. They transcend cultures. Here's one of the things that I just find to be so fascinating. The children who work through the natural problems of maturing, which we all have natural problems, with the least amount of emotional or physical residue, you know, those things that just kind of still hang around and kind of pollute us and kind of cause us to cause the problems that were caused for us, but we said we weren't going to cause those problems, but we caused those problems. That's the residue. Those children who are able to work through the natural problems of maturing with the least amount of emotional or physical residue are those whose parents have made them the least important to their own salvation. Universal principle. The least important to their own salvation. I, mean, I don't know about you, I've been kind of wrapping my head around that all week long. It just seems like there is something in our culture there is a tendency in me that so wants to empower people. And, and what he's actually saying is, is that through this means of empowering and I would argue at some level burdening, you can do this, you can fix this, you can be whatever you want. I'm telling you, um, I've never seen it like, it like it is today. Choose who you want to be, be who you want to be. You got this, you can do this. I would guess that that would really kind of empower them and create health. What he's saying is it would just do little more than just create added layers of anxiety and pressure. You tell me what you see in our day and age. And I'm not just talking about like junior high, high school, college. I'm not just talking about career. I'm even talking spiritually. You can do this. You should do this. You, you can manage this. I don't know why you're struggling with that. I'm not talking about enabling. What he's actually saying is, is that those parents who are the best, those pastors who are the best, those friends who are the best, those ministers who are the best, help their child, help the person understand that they are the least important to their own salvation. What it's pointing at is you need a savior. John didn't write a book 
10 things you need to do to clean up your life. No. Behold, this is next week's sermon, the Lamb of God that comes to take away your sin. What can you do for me, John? I can point you to the one who. Are you ready for this? Are you okay to deal with the fact that you are not Jesus? Now, by the way, you might go, well, wait a second, no, I, I am the hands and feet of Jesus. No, no, we've already covered that, haven't we? Ambassador, called, servant. Hey, you have a role to play. John's going to freak out. John's gospel doesn't really record it, but the synoptics do, and John's going to freak out. Are you the Messiah? Near the end of his life. Are you the Messiah? Because I've worked really, really hard, and I don't even think it's fixed. And Jesus answers his question, I'm the Messiah. John, all I need, all I need you to do is point people to me. Yeah, but there's still going to be problems. There's still going to be difficulties. There's still going to be. I know a lot of people right now that are just wrestling with some real, some real pain that has been caused in their life because they couldn't fix someone's problem. I understand their pain. I've asked the same questions. But if I'm going to be brutally honest, my biggest struggle is I'm just mad that I can't be Jesus. I'm mad that I can't fix them. I'm mad that I can't fix me. And I'm frustrated. And God is saying to me, I know, this is actually the quintessential human sin. You think more of yourself than you actually should. Are you okay with coming to the end of yourself? Are you okay, like, as you parent and as you lead, to realize, like, I, I can't bring Matt home? I can't. I can be here to greet him when he comes, but there are things I just cannot do. I would argue for those moments when you find yourself afraid and frustrated and angry, instead of reaching out with fear and anxiety and just venom, give it to Jesus. Point people to Jesus. He is their Savior. We will literally sing these words in a few moments. All glory and honor be unto you. And it's not John, and it's not you, and it's not me. It's who? Jesus. We're going to actually sing a song, and we're going to say, if ever I loved you, and we're going to speak about this love that we have for who? Not you, not me, not John, not Elijah, not Peter, not Paul, not your mom, but who? Jesus. We're going to sing, and I can't wait to sing these words. All hail King Jesus, all hail the Savior of the world. I can't save you. I can't fix you. No one can. Except Jesus. You okay with that? I, I pray that you become okay with that. And it doesn't just surrender you to yourself, it just reminds you where to go. Do you know where to go? We remind ourselves every week where to go. We go to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who on the night that he was betrayed is describing what all of the prophets pointed to. He's describing all of the signs that he did that they pointed to and he literally, he takes the bread and he breaks it open and he gives them each a piece and he literally says, this is my body because I'm the one that can fix this. Take it and eat. And so we do.
Jesus gives them the cup. This is my blood. No prophet's blood could fix you. Your mama's blood, her sacrifice, all those wonderful things that she did for you cannot fix you. But Jesus can. Take his gift and drink. Is Jesus not good? Do you understand who you are in Christ? If not, we'll talk after the service. And do you understand who you're not? Be okay with it. Now let us stand and worship the one who is.